Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Life in the Red podcast. I'm Luke Mullen, joined by Amy Just once again. And, you know, usually these episodes are, you know, break down last week football, break down our upcoming opponent. Well, today everything goes out of the window. Yeah, just a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah. So what we have in, in tune for you today, obviously, we'll have all the discussion about head coach Scott Frost being fired, talk about the program being in flux a little bit. You know, we'll, we'll touch on Georgia Southern, we'll touch on Oklahoma, uh, briefly talk about volleyball as well. But, you know, we, we need to get right into it. When you have a, a head coach get fired, um, obviously that's super important news. So Scott Frost, after four-plus seasons as head coach, 16-31 and 31 career record, he's out. And I think the first thing we got to talk about is why make the decision now um, for Trev Alberts? Yeah, so when we spoke with Trev on Sunday, it feels like a million years ago now, yeah. even though we are recording on a Wednesday. Today is Wednesday, right? Yeah, it's Wednesday. I've lost track of all time. Um, <laughs> so when we spoke with Trev on Sunday, he was talking about, you know, he wanted to instill hope in the team and he wanted to, you know, he just felt that it was right and he owed this to the players, uh, which I thought was interesting. Um, but look, I, I get it, right? Like buyout aside, you have, you know, big noon coming in this week. And the last thing I think that Nebraska wants to do is talk about the failures under Frost on national television when there's a pretty darn good football team coming in here that they're going to play on Saturday. So, and, I mean, two losses in his career to teams from the fun belt. Um, they had a lot of... They sure did, <laughs> yeah. Georgia Southern had a real good week. They had a Money, real, real win, fun. they had it all, yeah. So, it just, you know, at what point does it become too much? And I think last week's loss just was enough. Yeah. And, you know, you wonder um, if this had been percolating since Ireland. Uh, but anyway, you slice it. Now the University of Nebraska felt that it was time to part ways. Yeah. I think, you know, on Trev's part, obviously, he's very smart about the narrative, obviously the, the national narrative. You still have Frost here with a 1-2 and two record. I mean, the whole week it's going to be talking about his struggles, about how it, it hasn't worked out. And obviously there's still going to be discussion about that, but at the same time it's about you know, turning a new page mm -hmm. um, and, and moving forward from that. And you know, what I think was really important for Alberts is you, know, you, you come into this new role as athletic director, and I think he knew it, it would have really caused a lot of ripples just firing Frost right away as one of his first acts as athletic director. I think he was smart to kind of let it play out. Um, you know, perhaps, obviously, you know, there was the financial incentive. Um, you know, they, they reworked the contract, obviously. We saw the offseason changes, too. I think there was, there was a lot of hope, you know, from Alberts and that athletic department um, that they'd be able to turn it around, that they wouldn't get to this point. And obviously, we heard from Trev um, in that press conference, he you know, he complimented Frost. He said he worked hard and, you know, really wanted to revitalize this program. It just didn't work out the way that they wanted it to. Yeah, and before the season, one and two, if you would have told me they were one and two, 
I wouldn't have believed it. People would have been stunned everywhere. I, yeah. I just, this is not how I envisioned this going. I don't think this is how anyone envisioned this going. And yeah, it's just not a loss. Yeah. Honestly. Um, I did think that even with what unfolded last week, that they would still wait until October 1st, which is when uh, Scott Frost's buyout would be halved. But at the end of the day, you can only embarrass the University of Nebraska so much. It's a line I used in my column, and uh, I, still, I still think that, you know, if you've got the boosters who are going to mm. pay for it, oh well, here we go. Yeah. And we're going to ride with Mickey Joseph for the rest of the season, nine games to go. Indeed. And, you know, you have to wonder what, you know, the preseason conversations were between Alberts and Frost. You know, mm-hmm. what were the metrics, you know, the, the, the different things passed down from Alberts that he needed to see from Frost in this year. I have to imagine, you know, probably winning those first three games was part of the equation. I, you know, it, it's hard to say necessarily whether Alberts was like, you, you really got to, you know, win these games or, you know, the, the pressure's on, you know, from a athletic department standpoint. And I, I know after that Northwestern loss, obviously there was displeasure, you know, among the athletic department. Now, if they beat Georgia Southern, we might still be sitting here with, with Frost as the head coach. But like you said, um, you know, that, that loss really kind of pushed it over the edge. Just yet another, you know, disappointment having a team that you're projected to win by, you know, three touchdowns come here to Memorial Stadium, you know, put up over 600 yards of offense. Obviously, they played fantastic, but, you know, this wasn't Ohio State. This wasn't Wisconsin coming here for a blowout. Uh, it was Georgia Southern, a three-win team last year. And if anything, that, that shows the level Nebraska's at right now. Um, because, you know, something that stands out to me is the four straight losing seasons. That gets you canned at any FBS program, in my opinion. It doesn't matter whether it's Rutgers, Boston College, Kansas. Eastern Michigan, Kansas. Yeah, I mean, even programs that don't have a history of winning, you know, it, at least they expect you to pull out a winning season or show, you know, progress. demonstrable yeah, signs of progress in terms of your record, the games you play. And if anything, for Nebraska, it was just the same old story over and over again. Yeah, and by the end, I felt that Frost no longer had answers. Um you know, listening back to his press conference after the loss against Georgia Southern, he's just, I don't think he, know what, he knew what to say. Yeah. It might have been a little bit of realization about, um, you know, perhaps he, he might have had an inkling that this loss was perhaps going to do it in, in the end. And obviously it was less than a day, you know, less than 12 hours. It really, you know, transpired very quickly that, that Albert's moved to make the change. Um, so, you know, we, it, it worth, it's worth talking about a little bit deeper, you know, why didn't it work for Frost? Obviously, he was a very heavily sought-after coach, um, you know, making that move from Central Florida. Florida was very interested in him at the time. Obviously, they went with Dan Mullen. Um, you know, they, they've moved on since as well. Um, so, for me, the number one thing that stands out is the offensive scheme um, that really worked for him at, at Oregon and Central Florida. You get a lot of snaps, you know, you, you move quick down the field, high-scoring offense. Things change a lot in the Big Ten. You know, obviously, heading into his tenure, you know, he said infamously, I hope the Big Ten will have to adjust to us. That never happened. Nebraska had plenty of high-scoring games. You know, it wasn't a case where the offense never performed, but 
the style, I think, never quite matched up to the Big Ten in the way they'd want, want it to. Yeah, and it just, I don't know. Obviously, we can, you know, look back and hindsight's twenty twenty and all of that, but I just, I never quite understood the, we're going to make the Big Ten, you know, adjust to us. I never quite understood that line. Um, and that'll live in infamy, you know, but I just... I'm just at a loss. I really am because I, I didn't foresee this happening. I mean, we look back almost five years ago, and ever most everyone was over the moon excited to bring Scott Frost in and change things up and have somebody who knows Nebraska restore Nebraska to what Nebraska should be. And here we are just picking apart all of the faults and no, there are so many of them, and it's just, we've had eh, like four days to like wrap our heads around yeah. it, and I just, no one saw it ending this way, not four years ago, maybe last year, but not not quite like this. Yeah, I mean, I, I think at the time, there was probably a lot of public perspective that if Frost can't fix this mess, then who can? And I think that's that's a reason why a lot of fans are still, you know, perhaps in support of him, you know, upset that the athletic department made that change uh, because so many people did believe that, that Frost would be the guy um, to get this program back to national relevance. Obviously, someone who had been a big part of that success in the 90s, someone who understood the program, you know, growing up in it. Um, but perhaps, you know, that was maybe a recipe for the losing seasons that we've had because, yes, Frost always had that confidence that had come together um, and perhaps that, that was foolish confidence in, in some aspects. I think probably we would have needed to see changes to the offensive staff maybe a season sooner yeah. um, could have prevented this. Um, obviously, he was very loyal to his guys for several seasons. And loyalty, obviously, a, an important trait you know, in college football, but perhaps it, it served him wrong in this instance. Uh, but to me, the, the biggest thing of all, Nebraska out-recruited pretty much everyone in the Big Ten West, Top 20, top 25 recruiting classes coming in year on year. But so many of those guys never saw the field, never made an impact, transferred away. And I think, you know, looking back at his first recruiting class that came in, you you had Adrian Martinez, you know, a several-year starter. You had some other guys who contributed for several seasons. But, you know, ultimately, coaches are judged, you know, in in a four-year tenure. That first recruiting class that you have, when they're seniors, are you able to build up the program and that just wasn't the case. That class did not turn out at all. I saw a stat the other day that Nebraska is tied with another Big Ten West school of like the most transfers over like a recent period of time. I don't remember if it was two, three, or four years. Mm-hmm. But that's very telling. Absolutely. It's very telling. Um, I don't know exactly what story it paints, but it's not a good one. You know, you want not recruiting is about getting people here but keeping them here. And what happens when you can't keep the talent here? It's just, I mean, you look at the transfer portal and how so many kids are in it. And I think fundamentally the transfer portal is a good thing. You know, you can go get the Casey Thompsons and whatnot, but if you're relying on it for everything, it can be a bit of a mess. Yeah, it's, it's kind of, in, in some senses, it's kind of a crutch, you know, if if you don't develop the talent that you have in the building already, 
then just grab the talent that somebody else developed for a couple of years, um, which you know is not necessarily always the case. But but like I said, I mean, too many, far too many talented recruits um, that just did not translate into an on-field impact, and a lot a lot of guys that you know didn't didn't reach the ceilings that they had. And and personally, I don't think that's an individual athlete's fault. It, it mm-hmm. goes down to of course, you know, the, the coaching, the program, the conditioning, um, everything that goes into putting a winning product on the field. And it, it just failed. You know, too many one-score games, sloppy, undisciplined play, and some of the same issues we saw in 2018 still here in 2022. And, and for me, that was the final nail in the coffin. But we can look forward now. Obviously, the, the Scott Frost era has come to an end. Mickey Joseph taking charge of the program for the next nine games. Um, and already a few changes in place. We heard from him on Tuesday. Um, first one, players used to have the day off on Sunday. Now it's Monday. They'll be in the building Sunday. Uh, presumably, you know, in my opinion, for a very quick turnaround on film study, you know, make sure those guys don't even have 24 hours you know, to put the game out of their memory. I think, to me, that, that change indicates if there's an issue on, on Saturday, they're, they're going to want to get it addressed as soon as possible in that meeting room. Yeah, and that... This is not a weird schedule. I've seen it in many places that I've been before, including in the NFL. Um, you know, you're done with your game, and you know the next day you're working on getting things. Yeah. Uh, you're fixing things. You're tweaking things. You're looking at things that worked well, uh, so you can flush it and move on. And I think that can be a positive for them. Absolutely. Um, a few of the other changes, offensive analyst Mike Cassano, um, he'll now have an on-field role as the wide receivers coach. Mickey said, you know, yes, he'll still be involved with that, but it's one of those things where as a head coach, I mean, there's so much that you're dealing with, not just on game day, but, you know, leading up to the game, you know, in practice, he's going to set the schedule, you know, team issues, disciplinary, I mean, just so much stuff logistic-wise. Yes. you know, doing broadcast mm-hmm. things. I mean, it's a very long list of responsibilities that you wouldn't otherwise think about. And so, yeah, it just makes sense for him to hand the day-to-day off to somebody else. But knowing Mickey, he'll be involved in there as much as he possibly can. Yeah, I mean, those are his guys. He's been working with them um, all throughout spring and fall camp. So he's not going to let that go, most definitely. But we also heard on Tuesday, you know, he he was very candid. The defense needs to be improved. Um, And a few of those changes, defensive coordinator Eric Chenander We'll be working with the safeties in practice, whereas defensive backs coach Travis Fisher will work with the corners and the nickels. Um, you know, again, hoping to focus more attention on those specific position groups. You know, hoping that the different coaches can, you know, bring something different, have two different, you know, pairs of eyes, and and be able to to look into some of those issues. But no issue bigger on defense than tackling. Um, you know, we, we've we've seen this on the field that the tackling has not been good enough. Before you got fired, Frost was trying to, you know, perhaps beat the drum that they can go one-on-ones and practice. Well, what we heard from Mickey so far, a lot of tackling in their first practice out, um, short, quick, intense practice, um, trying to get those guys game ready, which I think is exactly what they need. Yeah, absolutely. I just, I don't understand the philosophy of not tackling in practice. I understand that you don't do it a lot, but you need to find that balance because how can you know that you're good at something if you don't practice it. If the only time you ever practice it is in a game, is that really practicing? 
I don't think so. <laughs> That's a good question. Maybe we should have uh, posed that one to the staff. <laughs> but I mean, I, to your point, I think probably a lot of it is, is fear that, you know, those starters are going to get gonna hurt. going to get hurt. I yeah. know. I've seen it. I've seen it. You know, it, again, not to bring up past stops, but at Kansas, you know, the starting quarterback got tackled in the spring game and towards ACL. So I, under, I understand the reasons why you don't want to, but you still, you have, again, you need to find that balance. You need to find the line. And I don't think under Frost they were close to yeah. finding that line. You have you have to practice tackling, whether that's with live plays, with dummies, whatever. And I just it didn't look like they were making any progress there. And hopefully, now that the page is being turned, mm-hmm. um, we can find some semblance of progress there. Because as I've said, I think the defense is has very talented players. They're just not coming together and doing the fundamental things that they need to do at the level that they need to do it. And once they get there, I think they'll be better. I know they'll be better. They just have to take the steps to get there. Definitely. I mean, in regards to the tackling, too, I think a lot of coaches would say anytime you're out there on the field, anyone can suffer an injury. Obviously, Mm -hmm. in practice, you're trying to mitigate risk. You know that in the actual games, that risk of injury is a lot higher. But to me, you, you... you can't just assume the worst. You can't just hide and you know cower from that. You really, you really got to give those guys game action. And I think, I think the players will be better off because of it. Um, and further changes could come. Trev Alberts publicly, you know, supported Joseph's ability. He said he's he's the head coach. He can make whatever changes he deems fit. Um, and you know, in, in terms of his approach, you know, from what I've seen from Mickey, I think he's he's kind of a a tough love kind of guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he'll he'll work you hard, but from a place of love, um, knowing that it's going to make you better, um, trying to get this roster Big Ten ready. And you know, we we touched on this briefly in the rapid reaction we shot on the field. But you know, you've known Mickey for a while. You know, dating back to you know your time at LSU. Um, what what do you know about his character and the way that his players you know responded to him then and now? Yeah, I mean. Mickey has worked with some of the best wide receivers in the game yeah. right now, whether that be Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, you know, and we're seeing that, you know, Nebraska can develop some of those guys too. Uh, Trey Palmer, one of the guys that, you know, once Mickey left, wanted to be here. Like, there's a reason why, mm-hmm. like, Trey wanted to follow Mickey. You know, he spoke about how he looks at Mickey like a father figure. And I think that that's a common trait among a lot of his past receivers. Um, but it's that tough love. Like, he, he's going to be hard on you, but he does it from a place of, like, he cares so much that he yeah. wants you to be better that he's going to be hard on you. And that coaching isn't for everybody. Everybody's different. Uh, but I think that the guys who've been in the room with Mickey, regardless of where he's been, have appreciated that and have worked well with that for the most part. Yeah, and I think, I mean, that, that style I think is great for wide receivers, you know, guys who are getting into one-on-one matchups, you know, trying to beat the DBs. And I think it's, it's what this team needs right now. They, they do not need to be coddled. They need to get a fire, you know, lit under them. Um, and, and really come out here strong in the last nine games of the year. And we'll, we'll get into Georgia Southern and Oklahoma here briefly, um, but wanted to touch on Nebraska volleyball. Obviously a very big match last night. 
um, going up against Stanford. Drops their first match of the season, um, but great crowd on hand. Mm-hmm. Obviously a, a great program in Stanford that, that usually gives Nebraska fits. Um, Nicklin Hames leaves with an injury. Um, just what were your kind of your takeaways from the match? Yeah, F- Nicklin, uh, she was playing really well, and then it was like a switch flipped. Um, where she was missing some sets, and she came off the court crying um, and, you know, went to a trainer and spent the rest of the match on the bench. Um, not sure how long she'll be out. Not sure exactly what was going on there, but um, hopefully she feels better soon. Um, and, yeah, so Kennedy Orr came in, um, you know, cold, right, because it's so late in the match. Yeah. Um, she comes in. She does a a fairly decent job. Uh, you know, still missed some of her sets. It's why Nicklin has been playing alongside Ani Evans in their 6-2 rotation using those two setters. Uh, but for coming in cold, I thought she did a you know, pretty okay job. Uh, but the tail of the match is just errors at very inopportune times, whether those were service errors or you know kills that went out. Um, if you look at the stat sheet, and I wrote my column about this today, if you look at the stat sheet and just like ignore the s- specific scores from each set, you would think Nebraska won the match because Stanford had so many service errors. It was a record in the rally scoring era um, against Nebraska. Mm-hmm. And bet- the difference between Stanford service errors and Nebraska service errors, if you use that math I- with... Um, kills and the number of uh, attack errors on paper it looks like Nebraska wins but it's just those poor timed errors um, and gotta fix those things you know two points better that's what Maddie Kubik said after the game and uh, you gotta win those close sets and when you don't Things like this happen, but not to be all doomsday. This yeah. happens. This happens, right? I mean, you look back last year, you look at 2018, 2017, 2015, all years where they made a deep run in the tournament. They've lost one, two, or three uh, non-conference matches against really talented teams, and they've rebounded well. And I think that this was a challenge that they needed. Um, this weekend will also be a big challenge for them on the road at number 13, I believe, Kentucky, uh, to close out the non-conference slate. Yep. Should, should be a learning opportunity, and we will see if the lessons learned uh, go into effect immediately this weekend. Yep. So, I mean, Huskers will probably drop a couple of spots in the rankings, but not a big deal at this point in the year for sure. And, you know, the, these big non-conference games, I mean, that's, that's what you need at this point in the year. Obviously, they had quite a few tune-ups, you know, before this time. Creighton pushed them, gave them a great match as well. Um, but, you know, you, you get better from losing, from being tested like that. Um, so we'll see how Nebraska volleyball bounces back from that one. All right, well, let's get back to football now. <laughs> as if we didn't spend enough time on it, we'll get, we'll get more volleyball discussion um, in, in future weeks for sure. Um, but let's talk a little bit about Georgia Southern, talk a little bit about Oklahoma, um, because it's important, you know, for where we're at in the season. You know, obviously that Georgia Southern game, you know, we, we talked about the Sunday presser feeling like years ago. I mean, this game is eons ago, you know, is a completely different situation for Nebraska football to be in. Um, you know, one-on-one on the year, still a lot of, you know, potential to, to keep the ball rolling, but this game completely changed things. The defense 
was just exposed. 642 yards of offense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Georgia Southern ran the ball with ease, threw the ball with ease, um, pretty much did whatever they want. The yardage was the most any opponent ever put up at Memorial Stadium. Another crazy stat for you. Nebraska had won 214 straight games while scoring 35 points or more at Memorial Stadium, their first ever loss um, in one of those contests. So the takeaways from the game was offense was great. I mean, Mm -hmm. Casey Thompson, Anthony Grant, they both really played up to their potential. I mean, Casey, a couple tough touchdown runs. He made a lot of great throws. We look at that 98-yard drive deep in the fourth Mm -hmm. quarter. I mean, that's what gamers, that's what winners do. Uh, but the defense just wasn't up to the standard. No, and that, how do you expect your offense to succeed in that, right? Like, they're doing everything that they can, but the defense has to get off the field, has to get off the field. And it was it was an embarrassing production from them the other night. Um, couldn't stop anything. This is an air raid offense. Yeah. And they couldn't stop the run. Now, granted, Nebraska's run defense has shown through the first, you know, two games that there were some tweaks, significant tweaks that they needed to make there, and they just got royally embarrassed last week. Mm-hmm. And right now, the run defense, by the way, 115th nationally out of 131 qualifying teams. Um, I think overall defensive yardage, I think they're 125th out of 131. Um, so a lot of improvements to be made. And, you know, when I look back at that Georgia Southern game, you know, looked at a little bit of the film, um, you know, trying to figure out what went wrong for the defense, what stood out to me was how often this team just sits in a four-man rush, um, you know, two linebackers in the box, and, you know, really put the safeties back, you know, have, have the nickel in, which, again, you know, they, they schemed that for the passing offense. You know, they, they knew the nickel needed to be a big part of their game plan. Um, but I think we've seen... The adjustments haven't been quick enough. And whatever Nebraska tried to throw at Georgia Southern on Saturday, the Eagles were just one step ahead. There were a couple times, you know, where they'd blitz, you know, send six. And Vantrese would get the ball out quick to the boundary, um, that one-on-one coverage. She did a great job beating those blitzes as well. Um, but, but to me, I think the base setup with the four-man front, the two linebackers, it just has not been working. I think Nebraska needs to find a way to bring more pressure or to change up the personnel groupings a little bit because obviously Oklahoma, they'll have been looking at the film. They'll have been seeing the exact issues that Georgia Southern exploited, and I think they'll try to do some very similar things here on Saturday. Yeah, if there aren't immediate adjustments made there, it's going to be worse. Hard to imagine that, but Oklahoma is in the top ten for a reason, Yep. and it could be, it could be bad if changes aren't made and made now yeah I mean you, you look at the Oklahoma team which let's uh let's dive into that a little bit and last week they struggled too you know only leading Kent State 7-3 at halftime and you're thinking okay you know maybe maybe that'll lead lead to another close game here this week well they score 24 points like bang 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 out of halftime just like they can and the 33-3 to final score line um you know I think pretty pretty close to, to what Oklahoma would have wanted I'm sure they would have liked a better first-half performance, but this is a team that has the firepower um, to really string together drives. Um, UCF transfer Dylan Gabriel, he's done a great job at quarterback. Marvin Mims, their wide receiver, a, a true playmaker, going to be an all-Big 12 wide receiver most likely. And the team's loaded with talent all over the ball. Um, defensively, I think that'll be the challenge. 
Um, can Casey Thompson and, and Anthony Grant muster enough offense to, to maybe keep a shootout going? Um, and, and looking at head coach Brent Venables, um, he, he had his regularly press conference. He had a lot of praise for this Nebraska offense, saying they've got great talent, they've got great schemes, and he expects them to really test his defense. Yeah, wouldn't that be something? You know, you're never going to hear a head coach talk ill of another team, right? <laughs> unless, unless they're crazy, I guess. <laughs> Brent Venable's not crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just, what a week. And it will only continue to get crazier. I, I truly think that um, Nebraska's offense can get something done this week. Um, but Oklahoma's defense, I mean, Venable's is considered one of the best yeah. defensive coaches in the game for a reason. So he's going to have them ready, and it'll be a good test. The other side of the ball, that's what I'm worried about. Definitely. And it, it, it could be exposed. It could go badly, um, but, but we'll see because we need to get into our Husker hot topic for the day, which is what does improvement look like under Mickey Joseph? And I'll start off because we've seen a lot of close games, so I don't think it's the score line um, mm-hmm. that people are obviously going to be interested in. It's going to be the on-field product. How do the players look out there? Um, More importantly, I think, what's the general attitude of the team? You know, how do they react to the tough moments of the game? Because you can bet that an opponent like Oklahoma, they're going to throw some punches. They're going to have Nebraska down at points. You know, maybe it'll be close. You know, maybe they'll always be in the game. But I think there's there's definitely going to be a point in this game where they're going to need to rally. They're going to need to summon up their courage. And, you know, we, we've seen that at, at various points under Frost's tenure. But if Mickey can achieve that in his first game, I don't think anything would be welcomed by the home fans as much as a team just that just keeps on fighting um, and doesn't make a lot of those same issues we've seen. Yeah, I want to see cleaner tackling. I know that can't be cleaned up completely overnight, but I want to see that. And then in the event that they're down at halftime, how do they rally? Yeah. How do they come out of the locker room? You know, are they on fire? Are they ready to go? Or are they, you know, defeated before they even get out there? That, that's what I want to see. I want to see them, you know, not worried about, you know, okay, we're still in this regardless of how much they're down by or up by. That is also a possibility. Anything can happen. <laughs> uh, but how they come out of halftime, regardless of what they're facing, I think is going to be really important for them. Yeah, we, we, we've heard a lot about maybe the lack of halftime adjustments um, from, you know, from the staff in, in recent games dating back to last year as well. Um, so that'll be a chance you know, for Joseph and his staff um, to really kind of reverse that trend most definitely. And you know, when I'm talking about the demeanor, you know, we saw against North Dakota, against Georgia Southern, you know, not that they weren't confident, but it seemed to me you know, when, when those times get tough, um, there were some players, you know, who, who might have, you know, started to doubt themselves. And ideally, that's something, obviously, that you want the coaching staff to, to re-inject that confidence. And, you know, we, we heard briefly, uh, uh, me and Jimmy Watkins from the World Herald, we heard from O'Shawn Mathis on Sunday after frost firing. And a, a quote that got a little bit of run online, uh, O'Shawn said, you know, there, there's a losing culture um, around this team. Guys need to, to have a reason to believe that they, that they can win. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's telling because ultimately it, Mickey, you know, he kind of rebuked that on, uh, on Tuesday, said he doesn't think there's a losing culture, which, um, you know, it is up for debate, obviously. But I, I think 
the telling thing that O'Shawn said was that guys need to believe that they can win because, yes, they have all the talent, they have all the, the scheming and you know, the coaching, I think, to get it done, but do they believe it themselves? Yeah, and that's, that can be such a big barrier. When you don't even realize the potential that you have, it's sad because this team is talented. There's so many talented pieces on this team, and I know that they can win, but do they know that they can win? I mean, when you've been against it for so long, losing so many close games after so many close games after so many close games, I can understand where you lose that. Yeah. But it needs to get brought back because if you don't believe in yourself, who's going to believe in you? You know, your coaches are always going to believe in you, but you have to believe in yourself and they have to because that's what gives you an extra edge. Let's get you in the in the locker room before the game, man. I'm I'm getting pumped up. Like, let me let me get out there, man. I, I believe in myself, so. <laughs> but we'll we'll see we'll see what the the tangible on field improvements are. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's get into our score predictions. Um, say how we think it's gonna gonna pan out. And I, I believe the line right now is about ten and a half, eleven points. And I'm sticking very close to that in my score prediction. I'm saying Oklahoma forty two, Nebraska thirty one. Um, like I said, I mean, Sooners do have a great defense, so much talent all over the ball, um, but I think Casey's going to be able to attack a little bit. Anthony Grant, he'll get his time. We'll see four straight 100-yard rushing games. I mean, that would be really impressive um, if he can put that together. So I expect this team to kind of be um, you know, able to score a few touchdowns. Maybe it's more towards the 21-point mark if Oklahoma plays well. Uh, but I think 42 points for the Sooners, given that Georgia Southern just put up 45, I mean, I would not be comfortable saying they're going to score any less than 40 uh, based on what we've seen from the defense. Yeah, and I'm kind of in that same line of thinking as well. I have Oklahoma 45, Nebraska 28. Uh, I just think that Oklahoma's defense is better than Georgia Southern's, and I think that they're uh, going to stifle the offense. Nebraska's offense mm-hmm. just a little bit more than we saw last week. But at the same time, I mean, the potential is there for this team uh, to come away with a marquee win. Always a chance, you know, to, to show up against one of your historic rivals, a top 10 win. What a scene that would be if they really could get it done. Um, and, and just a matter of days now until they'll hit the field for the first game of the Mickey Joseph era. 11 o'clock on Saturday, big noon kickoff coming. Of course, to Lincoln, they'll be there for the pregame show. All the hoopla that surrounds it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we'll be there for the coverage, of course. So stick with us. We'll see what happens. Um, really appreciate all of you tuning in. I know it's been a crazy week. Um, coach firing. Obviously, we'll, we'll have the coaching carousel going in the next few months. Um, so stick with us at the Journal Star. Really appreciate all of you um, tuning in. For Amy Just, I've been Luke Mullen. Thank you for listening to Episode 7 of the Life in the Red podcast. We'll see you on Saturday.